Hello, I'm Daniel Webster, New Zealand Public Affairs Manager at Chartered Accountants ANZ, and this is Small Firm Big Impact. It's not surprising that it's a no-frills budget. The government had uh, touted it as one, uh, also called it a bread and butter budget, and that's exactly uh, what it is. There weren't any changes to the personal marginal tax rates or the personal marginal tax rate thresholds. No change to take GST off food. Also no wealth tax, no capital gains tax. But what we have got um, is a little surprise in there with the tax, the trustee uh, tax rate. It's the podcast giving you and your clients the up-to-date information to keep you ahead of the pack. Each fortnight, we'll share resources, tools, and expert advice, both from CAANZ and a range of people across our profession. So make sure you're following the pod on your favorite platform. And if you've got an idea for the show, you can email podcast at charteredaccountantsanz.com. Today's guest is CAANZ, NZ Country Head, Peter Vile FCA, who has just stepped out of the Beehive budget lockup. Peter, welcome to Small Firm Big Impact. Kia ora, Daniel. Great to join you after an intense few hours in the budget lockup at the Beehive. Uh, as usual, it was freezing in the banquet hall there, uh, but at least they laid on the sausage rolls and lamingtons. <laughs> Good to hear. Um, so on a food theme, us, the government have described themselves as a bread and butter government um, and that this would be a bit of a no frills budget. Um, from what you've seen there, is that the case? Absolutely, yes, uh, Daniel. This is a no frills budget uh, fit for the constrained circumstances that the country is in. Uh, it's not surprising that it's a no frills budget. The government had uh, touted it as one, uh, also called it a bread and butter budget, and that's exactly uh, what it is. It does have four overarching themes. The first is supporting New Zealanders with the cost of living uh, pressures that they're all we're all experiencing at the moment. Uh, then uh, delivering services that New Zealanders need and rely on. Uh, a third theme was recovery and resilience, obviously in relation to or directly in response to the cyclone and floods we've experienced earlier this year. And then, of course, fiscal sustainability, uh, which picked up quite a few uh, other aspects. The challenge, I guess, for Grant Robertson as Minister of Revenue again this year was um, to deliver a budget that continued to invest as needed in infrastructure, in health, in education, and to throw in um, some quite big uh, cost of living measures to assist people who are really struggling. Uh, but to do all of that without exacerbating inflation or increasing household debt or adding, as I say, to inflationary pressures. Um, so that's why he's had to go with a no-frills approach um, and reprioritise uh, budget allocations uh, fr from one place to another in, in a number of cases. Mm, interesting. Um, so what about, first of all, can you talk us through some of the economic projections or fundamentals that the government laid out? Yes, yeah, so there's interesting numbers there, Daniel. So the uh, Treasury is forecasting 
GDP growth of 3.2% this year, falling to 1% next year, uh, and then 3% leveling out at 3% in 2026 and 2027. So over the long term, there that average looks looks reasonable. Um, there are, Treasury is no longer forecasting a recession, which is good news. Obviously, a recession is two quarters of successive two successive quarters of negative growth, and they're not um, forecasting that we'll have that. Uh, then they've had to defer the uh, expectation of a surplus uh, by one year to 2025-2026, and there's no surprises there. One of the most interesting figures, of course, for everyone is inflation. Uh, that for, Treasury is forecasting that it will fall to 3.3% in 2024 and then to 2.6% in 2025. Those numbers look, or forecasts, look quite ambitious to me. I'm not an economist, but given we've had just come through a period of 6.7%, 7% inflation, and we're still seeing uh, the cost of living rising, particularly with food costs, uh, I was a bit surprised to see that inflation is predicted to drop to 3.3 uh, and then to 2.6. Uh, and some good news, uh, net government debt to GDP proposed to peak at uh, only 22% in 2024, which is way lower than comparable economies or economies we often compare ourselves to, Australia, the UK, the US, which have much higher uh, debt to GDP ratios. Uh, and then uh, Treasury is forecasting that it will reduce to 18.4% in four years' time at the end of the budget forecast period. So again, that might look a bit ambitious, but... Um, Grant Robertson and Treasury are trying to deliver a cautious, conservative uh, budget. They uh, don't want to be accused of running amok uh, and having profligate spending. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why they're, they're obviously very keen to keep that uh, net government debt down below uh, 20%. Unemployment is expected to peak at 5.3% next year. It's currently around 3.4%, so that is a reasonable increase, up to 5.3%, and then uh, level off a bit. Um, and wages are expected to grow at 5.2% a year over the four-year forecast period. So those were the headline economic fundamental numbers. Uh, economists around the country will have different views as to whether they think Treasury's um, you know, landed in the right place on all of those numbers. Uh, but it's just interesting to think think about them and, and reflect on how, how ambitious potentially some of them are. Uh, cost of living was obviously their first priority, priority on that list of four. Uh, what is the government doing to help people afford the essentials? So a uh, good question, Daniel. We were, we were promised a no-frills uh, budget, and that's what we've got. What is, I think, really good to see is that most of the cost of living measures are very targeted, much more targeted than, for example, last year's cost of living payment, which went out to um, a whole or a large number of people uh, earning below 70000 regardless of the source of that income and regardless of asset and wealth testing. That was all all not in the mix. Uh, and we, we read the stories about people overseas who uh, were receiving that payment and um, various other people who... Uh, uh, didn't didn't need to receive it, so it's good to see this year that the the focus is a much more targeted one. Uh, there are a few platforms here. So one is early childhood education. The government is uh, extending the subsidy for early childhood education to two year olds. Uh, currently, the subsidy only is only for three to five year olds. Um, it will drop down to cover two year olds. 
uh, and so we'll provide some much-needed assistance to parents with very young children, uh, allowing them to return to the workforce earlier should they choose to do so, which is uh, good, obviously good for the, the country's productivity. Um, there's uh, The government's going to uh, remove the $5 prescription charge, uh, which we've all had to pay for many years from, from my recollection. Uh, that will be removed uh, in this budget. Uh, and that's obviously uh, not targeted because everyone's eligible for it, but it is progressive in the sense that those with the most um, critical health needs, the higher health needs who need more prescriptions than other healthier people uh, will um, benefit the, the most. So it does seem to be a sensible measure. Uh, there's some subsidies in public transport which will be of interest. Uh, so free public transport for children under 13 um, and permanent half price fares for uh, people between 13 and 25. So for a number of years now, we've had free public transport for um, the national superannuitants, uh, and this is looking at the other end of the demographic curve and extending that uh, free program to under 13-year-olds, um, help those who travel by public transport to school or around uh, the urban areas uh, and rely on public transport. It's also a sound measure from an environmental environmental perspective, obviously. Uh, and then obviously for people like tertiary students or young people who are in work who need to rely on uh, public transport or rely on public transport, uh, this is a good uh, outcome for them. And for um, when you think about it, for a family with a few children traveling to school by bus uh, or um, for tertiary families with you know, several tertiary students, this is a really good um way of cutting their weekly costs, uh, so that will be helpful. Um, you'll recall a couple of years ago we had the winter energy payment, which was a payment that went out to a broad group of um, people, including all national superannuitants. Uh, it was a, effectively a lump sum payment spread over a few months uh, to cover people's winter energy costs. It wasn't targeted, and even wealthy people, people who didn't need the subsidy, uh, were receiving it. Uh, and whereas now with this budget, the government has chosen to be more targeted. It's going to fund 100,000 new heating and insulation retrofits. Uh, and interestingly, 5 million LED light bulbs, uh, both of these aimed at reducing uh, the power bills of those that are most in need. Uh, so we think that the more targeted approach is sensible. One obvious question is whether we have the workforce to do the retrofits, the heating and insulation retrofits. Uh, one thinks that it might well be the same workforce that is being relied on to do a lot of the um, cyclone recovery work. So that will be uh, that will, time will tell whether we we do have the workforce to do those uh, retrofits. One other uh, change here under this cost of living area and the cost of living area was a wee tweak to the KiwiSaver rules that it will ensure that KiwiSavers who are on parental leave uh, won't miss out. They will not be disadvantaged uh, by being on parental leave. Uh, so their long-term savings through KiwiSaver will uh, not be affected. Uh, and that's from a um, gender equity perspective is a really good uh, change. It's not a big change. To, it won't cost the government that lot, but it does send a very, very positive signal that uh, that, that gender equity is, is and, and savings, and there's very good uh, uh, research which uh, uh, confirms that uh, women uh, end up with, with lower uh, retirement savings than men, and this will be a way of helping address that. So as I say, we're pleased that the cost of living measures are largely pretty targeted. 
uh, and they're not, um, you know, that, that that is sensible in the constrained economic circumstances that the government and we are all in at the moment. There isn't money to spray around uh, as there there was in in COVID, and as I said, with last year's cost of living payment, it has to be targeted. Great. Um, there wasn't meant to be any major tax changes. They ruled those out, but was there something? Well, there was something, uh, Daniel, but I'll save my breath for a second before I talk about the something and just talk about what there wasn't. So, and that was no surprise. There weren't any changes to the personal marginal tax rate or the personal marginal tax rate thresholds. No change to take GST off food. All of those have been ruled out by the Prime Minister, the Minister of uh, Revenue and others before the uh, budget. Uh, so no surprises there. Uh, also no wealth tax, no capital gains tax. We might see something in, in Labour's policy leading into the election, but certainly nothing in the budget. Uh, again, no surprises. Uh, there, Of course, many people are struggling with the effects of bracket creep, whereby their, their, their incomes are pushed into, their incomes increase, but they don't get the full benefit because they're pushed into the next marginal tax rate bracket. That's been a problem that we've had for decades. It's been particularly acute in the last few years with um, wage inflation. Uh, so people who are on average incomes are paying tax at reasonably high rates. So uh, in an ideal world, we would have seen that problem tackled, but those changes are very expensive and they just aren't affordable in the current environment with uh, the pressures of the cyclone and flood relief uh, and and also they would be inflationary potentially. So they're off the table and we knew they were off the table. So we haven't got any of that. But what we have got is um, a little surprise in there with the tax, the trustee uh, tax rate. So the trustee tax rate has for a number of years been 33%. This government in this budget has announced that it will move the trustee tax rate uh, from 33% to 39% to align with the top personal marginal tax rate of 39% that came in uh, from 1 April 2021. Why is the government doing this? The government is doing this because uh, it has identified a loophole. And the evidence is very clear. The budget documents confirm that in the first year of the increase in the 30 to the 39% for the top personal marginal tax rate, there was a sudden spike in income uh, earned by trustees. So trustees were earning $5.7 billion more of income in that year than they had in the previous income year. So that was the evidence the government needed to, to show that there was a loophole and it was being used uh, or, you know, in their view, abused. So that is that opportunity has been removed with effect from 1 April uh, 2024 those rates will be aligned. Um, <clears throat> personally, I was very pleased to see that uh, or hear uh, Minister Robertson announced that that change will go through the select committee process. So there will be um, the opportunity for submissions, one assumes, and that will be reviewed by the, select, the Finance and Expenditures Select Committee as normal tax, change, tax changes normally are. There could well be, you know, peripheral um, issues, there could be collateral damage, things that officials perhaps haven't thought about that need to be brought to their attention and to the uh, government's attention, to parliament's attention. So those things can be ironed out through that select committee process. But the key change here is that the trustee rate will move to 39% to align with the top personal marginal tax rate. Uh, 
A few other things I should have mentioned that weren't in there. There had been some kind of scuttlebuck or gossip about whether the government might introduce a higher personal marginal tax rate to apply to very high incomes of, say, 45%. That's not in the budget. Again, it could come through in uh, the election policies of, of different parties, the Labour Party and uh, obviously, might might consider that uh, in its in its in the lead up to the election. Um, I mentioned, I think GST. There's no uh, decision to remove GST off fresh food. Often there are calls for that, and particularly in uh, times of. Uh, uh, economic pressure. There are calls for that to happen uh, to reduce the food bill for households that are struggling. I think it's the right thing not to go down that route because uh, New Zealand has the most efficient GST system in the world, according to uh, the OECD, and that's been the case uh, for decades. It's a very comprehensive tax. It's hard to avoid um, and relatively easy to comply with. Um, and we don't have all the definitional issues that come when you start to make further exemptions and exclusions. Uh, and also, fundamentally, there's no guarantee, <coughs> excuse me, that if GST were taken off food, uh, that that would uh, that price reduction would flow through to the end consumer. So great to see the government resisting the temptation uh, to do something in that area. Uh, so yeah, so that's what's happened in tax. One one little surprise and. Uh, no big surprises. Yeah, a lot left out there that will still be on the table for future discussions. Um, there were signals that small business wouldn't get much. Um, that was that was the expectation. Was that true on first blush? Certainly on first blush, uh, there's no uh, significant direct support for small business. So, you know, measures that are specifically targeted at small business generally. Small business, uh, there will be uh, implications for small business, uh, for example, in all the money that's being invested in uh, resilience and recovery from the cyclone and the floods that will have some flow on effects for the small businesses affected by those events and also the small businesses that uh, support or work with those businesses affected. Uh, but they did, the government, interestingly, the government did pick one winner here in the small business area. Uh, they've decided to give the gaming development sector, so video gaming entities or companies, a uh, businesses, a 20% rebate for video game development studios. Uh, so this sector brought in 400 million in revenue in 2022 and is growing rapidly. I understand it's quite a, a, a big sector in, in the Wellington region, for example. Um, and so they've been a winner out of this. They've got the support. This support aligns uh, the New Zealand treatment with um, or puts them on a more level playing field with this kind of support uh, and subsidy that the Australian equivalent industry receives. Um, so and they are competing on a global stage uh, for this. So it, it's great to see that this has happened for them. But the bigger question or the obvious question is what is being done to support other sectors that are made predominantly of small business like the video gaming sector. They might not be as sexy as the video gaming sector, but they are making equally important contributions to the New Zealand economy and are also having to compete with uh, global competitors, including for, for labour, 
just in the same way as the video gaming sector has. So what I'd like to see is if this support for the video gaming sector is successful and does that grow that industry and give a, big, a decent return on investment, then that should be a model that's looked at to see whether it can be rolled out to other sectors. Some of the other um, sectors that are interesting here are the, um, tourism and uh, horticulture, for example, got relatively small, pretty pretty small bickies, uh, support for technology development, for example, in their sectors uh, and innovation. So not a lot for them, and they're big industries, really critical to New Zealand's economy. So again, I say, let's see how this gaming sector support works and if there are lessons to be learned there that can be, uh, and the money's there to roll them out more widely, then then the, the government if, uh, the government should should go for it. Um, there is a focus on technology and science, um, with 400 billion in, invested in um, some, sorry, 400 million invested in uh, several multi-institution science hubs. Again, that's the type of investment that ultimately, in the long term, uh, will have ripple effects around the economy. Um, the more research that is done in those science hubs that's that can be commercialised, the better, and there'll be flow-on effects for small business and uh, and and the hubs around those um, or the networks, the clusters around those uh, science hubs. So um, that's that's a sizable investment. Okay, Peter. Well, that's all that we've got time for today. Um, to all the listeners out there, if you want to know more, Peter's full perspective is on our 2023 budget page on charteredaccountantsanz.com and you can check out um, a recording of our sharing knowledge session that will also be up there. Um, so thank you for joining us, Peter. Pleasure, Daniel. Good to talk to you. Yes, and bye for now. Kakite anu.